Well, friends, would you uh, turn with me, please, to the words that we read uh, there in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, and reading again at verse 18. Revelation 2 from verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Many of us will have heard of uh, boiling frog syndrome. The premise is that if a frog is suddenly placed into a pot or pan of boiling water, it'll immediately jump out. However, if it's placed in tepid water, which is slowly brought to the boil, the frog will remain placid and will allow itself to be slowly, surely, steadily boiled to death. It's often used as a metaphor to describe the inability of people to be aware, the inability of people to respond to sinister threats that arise gradually rather than suddenly until it's too late. This morning we're continuing our studies in the seven dangers facing a healthy gospel church and we're looking at the danger of tolerating sin. The danger of tolerating sin and we're going to look at the verses under three headings. The description, then the danger, and finally the declaration. First, the description. Look at verse 18. Here the risen Jesus provides a description of who he is. We can start by noting who the letter is addressed to at the beginning of verse 18. It's addressed to an angel throughout this series. We've said that this word angel, it doesn't simply refer to a heavenly being. Rather, it can also refer to a messenger. One who speaks on behalf of another, and that is the sense in which the word has been used in Revelation 2. This letter is addressed to a messenger, and it's addressed to the messenger or angel of the church in Thyatira. It's addressed to a church leader and to the congregation whom he represents as a whole. And the particular congregation on this occasion is the church that's based in the city of Thyatira. Thyatira lay around 40 miles southeast of Pergamum that we looked at three weeks ago. It was an industrious city where various goods were produced and were sold. Because of this, there were many trade guilds, and each of these trade guilds had its own god or goddess. In order to get on in the commercial world of Thyatira, you had to belong to one of these guilds, and you had to participate in the worship of its god. Failure to do so would inevitably lead to the loss of business, and not just the loss of business, but the loss of income. We can also note who the letter is addressed from in the second half of verse 18. As we've studied these letters in Revelation, we've said that each has come from the risen and exalted Jesus. And here he declares himself to be the Son of God. This is the only time that Jesus is called Son of God in the book of Revelation, and that's significant. Uh, the, the primary God who was worshipped in Thyatira was Apollo, the son of the chief god Zeus. And so here we find the risen Jesus telling the Christians in Thyatira that he is the true son of God. It's a title of divinity. It's a title of majesty. And he describes himself here as being the son of God whose eyes are like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. He's the one who sees all things and not only sees all things but through all things. And he's the one who will trample on and crush everything and everyone that is opposed to him. He's the one with eyes like a flame of fire, feet like burnished bronze. Now friends, as we consider these verses, we've been given a reminder of who Jesus is. 
That's what we see here in Revelation 2. The risen Jesus reminds the church in Thyatira that he is the Son of God, whose eyes are like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. He's reminding them that he is aware of everything and that he is capable of taking definitive and decisive action against whatever stands against him. That is his timely reminder to a church who, as we'll see in a few moments, are beginning to tolerate sin. And that is such an important reminder for ourselves. The risen Jesus is the Son of God who is aware of all things. And he will take decisive action against whatever and whoever denies him, dismisses him, diminishes him, defies him. This is no seeker-sensitive Jesus. This is no user-friendly Jesus. This is no cute and cuddly Jesus. This is the Jesus of the Bible. Two weeks ago, I watched uh, some of the debates taking place at the General Synod of the Church of England. And I was struck by the words of uh, Vaughan Roberts. Vaughan Roberts is an evangelical. He's uh, rector in St. Ebbs in Oxford. And in the course of the debate, Vaughan Roberts got up and he reminded those present that what they were doing wasn't simply being done before a watching world. Neither was it being done simply before Parliament across the road. Rather, what they were doing was being done before the Almighty God. And friends, that is what we are being reminded of as we read Revelation 2. We are being reminded that all that we think, all that we do, all that we say is done before the watching gaze of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. And the question that I want to begin today asking, friends, is, do you know this Jesus? Do you know this Jesus? I'm not asking, do you know about him? I'm asking, do you know him personally? Do you know the Jesus who is aware of everything? And not just aware of everything, but will take definitive, decisive action against whoever or whatever stands against him. Do you know this Jesus? If I was to ever leave this congregation, I would hope and I would pray that every single person in this congregation would be able to say, we don't just know about the Jesus whom whom Hugh preached about, but we know the Jesus who Hugh preached about. I would hope that as you leave the building today, you would leave the building today saying, I don't simply know about the Jesus that we were thinking about in Revelation 2, but I actually know this Jesus. Do you know him today, friend? Second, we come to the danger. Look at verses 19 to 25. Here there is in Jesus highlights the danger facing the church in Thyatira. Verse 19, we hear the commendation. There is in Jesus begins by commending the church in Thyatira for their works. Look at verse 19. He commends them for their love. He commends them for their faith. He commends them for their service. And he commends them for their patient endurance. And the risen Jesus continues by commending the church in Thyatira because their latter works are exceeding the first. That is a remarkable statement. This church is making progress. This church isn't sitting back. This church isn't looking back at past achievements, past accomplishments. This church isn't resting on their history. This church is moving forward. This church are growing in works, growing in quality, growing in quantity. 
We can move, though, from the commendation to the concern in verses 20 to 23. Up till now, things have been very positive, and then the risen Jesus changes tone. He turns to this church and he says, But I have this against you. The church in Thyatira have an issue that is a pressing concern to Jesus. And he goes on to express his concern that they are tolerating a false teacher. Jesus draws their attention back to the past. Back to their history. In the Old Testament we find a God-hating woman named Jezebel marrying the Israelite king Ahab. And she advocates and advances the worship of the false god Baal to the detriment of the worship of the true God of Israel. The altars of the Lord are torn down and left to rot and ruin and rubble. And nobody apart from the prophet Elijah seems to say anything about this Jezebel. They don't say anything against this woman Jezebel. And Jesus applies that to the situation in Thyatira. And he says here that there is a similar Jezebel figure who is in this church. She is claiming to be a prophet... She is claiming to be someone who who receives revelation and speaks on behalf of God. And she has been teaching and seducing the servants of Jesus to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. We've already seen that Thyatira was a place where in order to get on in business you had to belong to one of the trade guilds. And being in one of the trade guilds meant that you had to participate in the idolatry and the immorality that went on in their feasts, their, their orgies. And this woman has been telling the Christians in Thyatira that they could participate in the trade guilds. They could go to these feasts. They could get drunk and they could sleep around with whoever they wanted to sleep around with. And they could still be a Christian. And the church in Thyatira aren't dealing with her. They're not disciplining her. No, they're permitting this teaching. They're accepting this teaching. They're embracing this teaching. And Jesus goes further and he says that he has given this woman time to repent. Verse 21. That word repent means to change your mind, change your direction. Jesus had been patient with this woman. He had given her all the time in the world to change her mind, change her views, change what she was doing. But she doesn't change. She persists. She progresses. She carries on with what she's doing. And so Jesus says, verses 22 and 23, that he is going to take action. He says he's going to throw this woman onto a sickbed. And he's going to throw all who committed adultery with her, all who were spiritually faithless, all who were spiritually promiscuous, he's going to throw them all into a great tribulation unless they repent. And he's going to strike her children, all who followed her ways, dead. And the result of this, Jesus says, is that all the churches will know that he's the one who searches minds and hearts and will give to each person according to their works. In Jeremiah 17, the Lord speaks about the sin of Judah. And he says, I, the Lord, search the heart and I test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And here the same language is being used by Jesus and he's using it of himself. He's saying that he's the one who can see into the places that no one else can see into. 
He can see into the mind. He can see into the heart. He can see into some of your minds today who are just drifting off and falling asleep. He can see into the minds of those of you who are thinking about how Rangers are going to thrash Celtic this afternoon. He can see into it all. And he's the one whose judgment, verdict and sentence is always just. He he will give to each person according to their deeds. We can move though from the concern to the counsel. Look at verses 24 and 25. The risen Jesus isn't finished. And he now addresses the rest of those in Thyatira. This group haven't been holding to the teaching of Jezebel. Neither have they learned the so-called deep things of Satan. And Jesus takes a moment to address them. And he counsels them to hold fast to what they have until he comes. He's not going to lay any other burden on them. All he counsels them, all he calls them, all he commands them to do is hold fast to what they have until he comes, until he returns. They have the gospel. They have the Jesus who's contained in that gospel. And Jesus is saying, I want you to hold on to this gospel. I want you to hold on to me. Don't let go of this in pursuit of something else. Well, friends, as we consider these verses, we're being confronted with the danger of tolerating sin. The danger of tolerating sin. That's what we see here in Revelation 2. The church in Thyatira was a church that was displaying love, displaying faith, displaying service, displaying patient endurance. And they were were growing in this. They They were developing in this. But they're also tolerating the teaching of a woman who said that it was possible to be a Christian and participate in things that dishonor and displease Jesus. And they're now facing the very real prospect of Jesus coming and throwing them into a great tribulation, striking them dead unless they repent, unless they change direction. And that, friends, is a very important caution for ourselves. Juan Sanchez writes, Generally churches strive to love Christ, love one another, honour their pastor. Largely we believe the Bible, seek to obey its commands and follow its guidance. But when it comes to speaking the hard truths of the Bible to those we love, namely ourselves, our family, our friends, we are far too often willing to tolerate sin. For whatever reason, whether it's loyalty, deception or fear of man, We are reluctant to confront the people we love and expose their error. But the danger is that to avoid conflict or maintain a relationship, we tolerate unrepentant sin within the church. A toleration of sin, an acceptance of things that grieve the heart of Jesus, is a great danger facing every church. In recent years, it's become very common for churches to tolerate leaders, ministers, elders who advocate and advance views about marriage or about gender that are contrary to the Word of God. We saw it last week with statements made by a former Church of Scotland moderator, and if a church was properly practicing discipline, they would throw her out. But they say, oh, well, that's, that's her view. Some even go in and accept that view. But a toleration of sin and acceptance of things that 
grave the heart of Jesus, it's also a great danger facing every Christian. And you know, when we speak about sin, friends, we're not just speaking about these big things that everybody gossips about and talks about and knows about and is perhaps shocked about. Jerry Bridges has a book entitled, and it's an excellent book if you ever get a chance to read it, it's called Respectable Sins, Confronting the Sins We So Often Tolerate. And he speaks in the book about those subtle sins, the sin of religious pride, the sin of a critical attitude, the sin of gossip, the sin of impatience. One particular example he gives is what he calls the sin of vicarious immorality. Listen to what he says. Do we secretly enjoy reading about the immorality of other people whose sexual misconduct is reported in our newspapers and weekly news magazines? If so, we're engaging in vicarious immorality. Do we sneak glances at the trashy tabloids and magazines on display at the supermarket checkout lines and secretly want to take one and read about the exploits of the famous but only openly immoral people? If so, we're engaging in vicarious immorality. If we go to movies or watch TV programs knowing that explicit scenes will be shown or read novels knowing that such scenes will be described, we're engaging in vicarious immorality. It's clear that the world around us enjoys this sort of thing. After all, those tabloids and magazines wouldn't be at the checkout lane if our new neighbours weren't buying them. And the same can be said of movies, TV programmes and novels. So this is one instance of values and practices accepted by society around us that are clearly contrary to scripture. And to the extent that we follow along, we too are worldly. Maybe today, friend, you can see a sin that you've been permitting into your life. Maybe that sin of gossip. Maybe that sin of impatience and irritability. Maybe that sin of religious pride. Maybe that sin of a critical spirit. Or maybe something a lot worse that you would hope nobody in this congregation would ever find out about. And you've been tolerating it up until now. And today is giving you an opportunity, friend, to repent. It's giving you an opportunity to change direction. Maybe today is giving you an opportunity to say, I'm going to hold on to Jesus from now on. I'm going to hold on to Jesus and his gospel from now on. I'm going to stop holding on to that sin that I've been tolerating up until today. This morning I want to ask each of us as individuals and as a congregation... Are we tolerant or intolerant with sin? Are we tolerant or intolerant with sin? I have a relative who's gluten-free. I'm not going to name her, but some of you know her. And even just a crumb would trigger off a reaction. That's how intolerant she is toward gluten. And some of you are the same. Some of you have a similar intolerance to gluten. We know that. We buy gluten-free bread for our communion. But friends, do we have a similar intolerance when it comes to the things that grieve the heart of Jesus? This relative of mine can't even have the same toaster as the rest of the family. Do we have a similar intolerance when it comes to the things that grieve the heart of Jesus? 
Third and finally, we come to the declaration. Look at verses 26 to 29, where the risen Jesus declares what will happen to those who now act on his words. Verses 26 to 28, we hear the encouragement. The risen Jesus speaks here about the one who conquers and keeps his word to the end. That language of conquering or overcoming describes a a living faith, an active faith that perseveres to the end. On this occasion, it refers to the person who says, I'm not going to tolerate sin. And here, the risen Jesus tells the church in Thyatira that if they conquer, they will rule with him. Verses 26 and 27. He tells them that he will give them authority over the nations. Tells them that they will rule over the nations with a rod of iron. Tells them that they will have the same authority that he has received from his father. Jesus is looking forward to the day when he will return and when he will reign. And he says, all my people will reign with me. And he goes on to tell the church in Thyatira that if they conquer, they won't simply reign with him. They will receive the morning star. Now, once again, we find ourselves dealing with symbolic language in the book of Revelation. In Numbers 24, we find the prophet Balaam speaking about a morning star that will come. A reference to the Messiah, a coming king. And in Revelation 22, Jesus says, I am the bright morning star. I am the fulfillment of that old prophecy. And here he's saying that he will give the morning star. He will give himself to all those who conquer. We can move though from the encouragement to the exhortation in verse 29. Over the last few weeks, we've been saying that throughout the Gospels, we hear Jesus issuing the call, let the one who has ears to hear, listen. It functions as an exhortation to a person to open their mind, open their heart to what Jesus is saying and to act on it. And here there is in Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He is exhorting the church in Thyatira to open their minds open their hearts to what he's saying to them and to to act on it. Put it into practice. And you know, friends, as we consider these verses, we are being given an encouragement to listen to and act on what Jesus is saying. That's what we see here in Revelation 2. The risen Jesus has commended the church in Thyatira for their works and the fact that their works are growing in quality and growing in quantity. And he's then expressed his concern about their current toleration of sin. And he's proceeded to counsel them to repent and change direction. And he now exhorts them to listen to and act on what he's saying. And he encourages them with the promise that if they do so, if they repent, if they change direction, they will reign with him. And you know, friends, that's such an encouragement for ourselves. I recently came across an old essay I'd written in school about 21 years ago. The title of the essay was, Where I Want to Be in 10 Years. As a 15-year-old, I'd written that I hoped to have finished studying at the Free Church College in Edinburgh and hoped to have a university degree. I'd gone on to write that I hoped to be a Free Church minister somewhere in the far north, ideally Caithness or Sutherland. And then... I hope Natalie doesn't go bonkers at this. I then wrote that I'd probably be unmarried because I'd be much too busy in the work of the ministry to have a wife. (laughs) Well, we all have plans. We all have hopes. We all have dreams. We all have aspirations for the future. 
And in Revelation 2, we find the risen Jesus holding out the promise, holding out the prospect of his people ruling and reigning with him in his realised and eternal kingdom. And you know, friends, I can't even begin to imagine what that's going to be like. I can barely keep my house in order. I can barely look after this congregation. And Jesus says, Hugh, you're going to be reigning with me in my realised kingdom, my eternal kingdom, my future kingdom. And that is a promise that he doesn't just hold out to me. It's a promise that he holds out to every one of his people, whoever they are and whatever they've done. It's a promise that is given to every single person who says, I am not going to permit and play around with sin in my life. Instead, I am going to hold on to Jesus. It's a promise that is given to each and every person who says, I'm going to listen to and act on what Jesus is saying. So friends, there isn't what Jesus is saying to each of us this morning as individuals and as a congregation. He is exhorting us not to be tolerating sin. When it comes to living for him. And isn't it wonderful friends. That he doesn't just say. I want you to stop tolerating sin. No he also says. I want you to think about the glorious reward. That awaits all those who listen to. And act on what I'm saying. Think of the reward. Think of living with me. Think of reigning with me. Friends can I ask you in closing. Are we listening to what Jesus is saying? None of this is my own words in Revelation 2. These are the words of Jesus. He says, don't play around with sin in your life. And if you don't play around with sin in your life, but instead hold on to me, you will reign with me. Are we listening? Let's pray.